Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halex. This week, we are thinking about what do we want to burn? (laughs) Oh, and I didn't even think about it, but there's so many wildfires that are raging right now. Did you get the smoke where you are, Luca? Yes, we did. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, I think. Yeah, yesterday, at one point of the day, walked outside and was like, oh, I know what this is in the air. Um, BC has not had as many wildfires this summer, but it looks like the East Coast in the States is really... Yeah, Washington State and Oregon are both... both And California. Yeah, and California. California. It's it's pretty brutal. So... Uh, we we're not referring to the forest fires. We are referring to um, our lives and elements of our lives. Or you know, well, what does it make you think of, Luca? If you were to say, if you, if you uh, wait, I get, get it, uh, on a sort of a ritual level. This idea of um, burning what we're releasing, what we're letting go of. Um, so I, I'm not getting it in the sense of what do we need to burn down, like anarchy, but, but more along the lines of what are, what are we finished with and, and what do we want to release, let go of, clear, clear out. Um, and there's something very intentional about um, writing something on a piece of paper or, or having some kind of small representation of something that we want to let go of. Uh, I've, I've participated at different times in my life in rituals where we've had a big campfire and everybody's thrown something in that they very intentionally want to let go of. Um, and, and very often done at the, at the time of the year when we say the veils are thin, which is around Halloween or the end of October in the Northern Hemisphere, when we, when we, um, we go through those processes of, deciding what we want to release. And a lot of people also do it around the solstice on the 21st of December, 20th, 21st of December, um, where they, where there's fire because it's a darker time of the year, right? And we can, we can let things go. Um, And there's a certain amount of discernment involved in um, deciding what you want to let go. It's, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater if we go into euphemisms here, but, but, uh, but really being intentional about what is no longer serving me. And I think we can start at a very personal level and extend that out to um, what is no longer serving, not just our, our society, but what is no longer serving humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? What are the systems that really are not working for most of humanity anymore? Right. Um, and I was talking to someone this afternoon about, um, this idea that we have countries with very fixed borders. Um, and, and we basically, we decide what people's rights are based on which borders they live within. And the exception to that is some of the indigenous peoples who have borders that, um, that go their, their territory, if you like, um, expands across national borders. Um, and then there are nomadic peoples like the gypsies and, 
um, people who, who have traditionally in their long histories wandered from one place to another, either with the seasons or in search of food. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a system or, behind or it. Or also because there was a structural displacement, a systemic displacement. Yes, uh, that too. You yes. to the gypsies, and of course I'm thinking, yeah. well, that, uh, you're yeah. probably meaning the Roma. Um, yes. Who, who, who yes, I, I'm using the Roma. incorrect word for yeah. it now. It's, yeah, yeah. But also, you know, the Jews were like that too. They they were displaced. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that, that whole thing that idea around not being able to go with the, the fluid changes of the planet, because we know, archaeologically, we know that the climate has changed on this planet many times over. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a country like a landlocked country in Africa, and, and there's been drought going on for 20, 25 years, then it's no longer, nobody can live there anymore. So, so do you then become a refugee? And and live with lowered rights in someone else's country because the planet changed the, yeah. and the, the climate changed on the planet. That doesn't seem, that doesn't seem like it serves. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if one of the things that goes eventually is this, these, these borders between countries that separate um, who gets, who, who has what rights and yeah. under what, conditions you know i appreciate your phrasing of that because um you know we all we talk about it in terms of privilege a lot and the 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 accident of birth and where you happen to be born because we don't choose that before we come into this world we just we got Mm -hmm. the parents and the family and the country and the city and the time that that is whatever it is that we pop out to and um yeah, a really good way of phrasing that, that your rights are connected to the country that you are in, that you are born into. This is, yeah, very powerful phrasing, actually. It, and, and I was thinking about, you know, if you, if you have, let's say you're a nuclear physicist, and so another country wants you, then you may move from one country to another, but you get to keep all that privilege and all those rights. But if you're displaced by climate and you didn't do anything except be happen to be born into a country where the climate is not conducive to being able to grow your own food anymore or have enough water to drink, then you are you become, become a quote-unquote refugee and you come in with um, lowered, in a way, lowered status, right? Mm-hmm. It's... That doesn't seem. That doesn't no, seem like it, it serves us. It's, no, it doesn't seem like humanity. It does. It yeah. It feels arbitrary, and it's it's othering, and yeah. it's it's um, stratifying. It's classist. Yeah. It's all kinds of things that just. So feel what happens off. when the west coast of the United States becomes a desert because it's it's leaning that way? Certainly in in California and in Southern California, I'd like now all the way up to San Francisco. If, if, that, if that climate changes that drastically, you've got all of these people who are used to a, a quote-unquote privileged lifestyle who now will be displaced. And, and so what happens to them? What, where, do they, where do they go? And, and I, I think that we will, we will feel like we need to make 
more choices around this and revisit the situation when it's not people who live in a landlocked um, country, so-called poor country in Africa, but it's but it's one of what we call the so-called first world countries, right? Then that now now we have more of a vested interest in doing something about it. It's long overdue. I don't it like it's sad that that's what it takes, but maybe that's one of those systems that needs to be burned down, i.e., released, yeah, or, or changed, replaced with something that works for more people. I mean, I'm not sure there's ever a system that works for absolutely everybody, but I think we have to be able to do better than, than what we're doing at the moment. And some things are working better, you know, in, in, in some ways we're better at it. But I was just thinking the other day about talking about systems. There used to be a term called union busting, um, which was when, when unions first started up, corporations would... Um, fire the people who were the union organizers. And so legislation came about that said that you couldn't do that anymore. Um, but one of the things that's happening now is that um, we, there, and there used to be scab labor. So, so that meant that if the union, for anybody who's not familiar with the, with the labor terms, um, if, if your, if your uh, union went on strike, then the company could hire other employees to cross the picket line and work in, in the stead of the, the unionized employees who, were, who, were, who had walked off the job and were picketing. Now we've got legislation about those kinds of things. However, what's replacing it is that the company will outsource the labor to a country that is now the new scab labor. So, so if you outsource your labor from the United States to China, where they have different labor laws and where the, the employees are, are forced to work for much less because they don't have the rights within their system, then we're back in that same position of the, of the employees being held to ransom in a way. Yep. Uh, because... Because if you fight the, if you're, if you use your union to fight for higher pay and better working conditions, then the company just says, okay, well, we just won't do it in the, in your state anymore. We won't do it in the U.S. We're, we're just going to move it to China or we're going to move it to India or we're going to move it to somewhere where they can take advantage of the workers. And that's that. So now we've moved something that was the labor rights were a national issue now we've moved it to a global issue because as long as the companies can still do that as long as they can still have a, a worker in india that takes computers apart and is affected by all the toxins that are inside the computers they will they will do that until on a on a global level we do something about it so that might be another system that needs to be burned down mm-hmm absolutely and one that's coming into my head while you're talking about this is the gender roles that are still so firmly entrenched in every culture and society. They've got their own interpretation, their own spin on them, but they're there. But one of the things that really starts to illustrate how arbitrary they are is when you start to look at the differences between nations and cultures. 
uh, as they exist right now. Never mind through, if you look back through the um, annals of time, and I don't know if I'm saying that word the right way. I just realized it's you, one of those words I've always read and I've never said out loud. <laughs> no, you got it. Woohoo! Good. I didn't say it the way that would have made it an entirely different meaning. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> one of those. Yes, one of those. You know, one of the most interesting exercises I ever did when I worked with Red Cross in facilitation work in high schools was I was working with a group of children who were, uh, you know, just maybe 12, 13. They'd all been very recently uh, moved into Canada. So it was, I was not, they weren't even in the regular school system yet. They were still in the uh, Welcome Center um, school that they all come to sort of, sort of get up to a certain amount of speed, acclimate culturally, um, get their English up to a speed where they can go and matriculate in regular schools. So I came in to work with these children and I did an exercise on gender roles with them. And it was just a series of questions that had no gender attached to them, but um, would question, you know, if somebody in your family was a doctor, who do you assume it to be? If somebody needed to do this kind of work, who is the person that's going to do it? What is the type of clothing that uh, women will usually wear in your society? What are, you know, this kind of thing. And then to share the, the answers amongst this very diverse group of students who are already from multiple nations across the world. And to see the variety there, but then it was a, it was a the whole reason for doing this exercise was to talk through uh, gender rights in Canada, which have been evolving very rapidly as we seek to amend our human rights code to reflect the um, the equal measures that must be accounted for for especially for transgendered people. Um, it's intersex people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it kind of goes on and on. We can go down, down uh, that path to explore how does this impact. And as, you know, I am a cis woman and there's a place of privilege in that. But at the same time, there are times when I look around at, at what is the work that is being done through and for and by and alongside the trans movement and realize that this work is so necessary for me as well because I am so and have, have been my entire life so uncomfortable with the expectations that are placed on me just because of how I was identified as a doctor when I emerged out of the womb mm -hmm. and how my family then began to engage with me and society engaged You identified me. as a... As a woman. I, I didn't a, specify, but the point doctor. is... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The doctor, the doctor, you know, assigned me a sex as I came yes. out. Yes. Of course, you know, as, as happens to most babies, although we're beginning to start having some and some, some families will say we're not going to give our baby. We're not, you know, we can talk about what is the, you know, the, the, the physicality of what a, yes. a being has, which is. And we don't even have language for it, right? Yeah. We, our language is not yeah. caught up to this yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, wh why is it that the certain lumps and bumps on our skin <laughs> and yes. the functions yes. mm -hmm. by which we secrete waste <laughs> yes. then yeah. lead to these, this whole set of expectations of you're allowed to wear these clothes and not, you're allowed to do these jobs or not, you're allowed to express these emotions and not so yeah. much these. You and you're going to carry these responsibilities or not. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it, this really flows both ways. Of course, I experienced this ma the majority of this through being 
in a in a female body and being a cis woman um it, it, what i've experienced is the stuff that i run across that that inhibits me or the extra burdens or weights that I experience, but it goes both ways. There yes. are men out there who, you know, cis men who the burdens that are placed on them or the expectations that are placed on them are also not fair, not healthy, do not align with what their personal inclinations or talents or desires might be. So I would like to burn that all down where instead of these things being color-coded <laughs> based on gender <laughs> that it's just removed and we're we're in a place of, we're, we're returned to a place of choice yeah as individuals well that leads us perfectly into one of our songs today mm-hmm. which is talking about uh men and crying yes yes um and and that's a gender-based thing um which really isn't good for i mean we in we i mean mostly the world over men are not encouraged to cry and and it is such a fundamental um way in which our emotional and physical system releases distress and and also expresses joy um it's not just a negative thing right so we know that tears tears of pain and tears of joy carry a different chemical in them. So, but, so we know that they're doing, they're serving a function within the body. And if you tell, if you, if you uh, legislate, you know, societally that, that boys are not going to be able to do that, then we're depriving them of one of their basic human rights. Mm -hmm. So let's play this song. So the one that we have yeah. in here that uh, Luke has been referring to is called Too Young to Burn. It's by Sunny and the Sunsets. Um, I'll actually take a minute to just read some of these lyrics just because of what you were describing there. So, oops, let's get this right. So the lyrics say, when I was just a kid, they said, kid, don't you cry. I am older now. I say, it's all right. Every tear rolling down is a lesson learned. Are you too old to turn? Are you too young to burn? And then it goes into chorus, etc. But yeah, what yeah. an important message there. And also it's acknowledging the, the reality of children and are children not given permission? And this is true. This happens a lot. Are children not given permission to express the emotions that they are carrying, their personal opinions? You know, there's a lot of dismissal that happens there. All right, so let's take a listen to the song and we'll be back again in just a few minutes. Two, three, four. Just a kid, they say. 
Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. We just listened to Too Young to Burn by Sunny and the Sunsets. A good reminder about um, when we are limiting certain actions or emotions based on, on age, but it doesn't just limit it to that. Just before we went to that break, we were talking about uh, uh, gendered differences and expectations and allowances, I guess you could say. Um, and I think the, one of the places I'd really like to go next when we're talking about, you know, what do we want to burn? Like, and especially on a systemic level, the big, big picture level, uh, I really want to go into, um, the issues that we're, that we're really looking at. Our cities are burning and not just from forest fires this year, 2020 has seen a lot, uh, of protests world, world round that are centered around, uh, again, human rights. Uh, human dignity and racism as well, and the pervasiveness pervasiveness of racism. And I feel like this is a, an important moment. I can I can take a moment to ground in and, and uh, acknowledge, as Luca and I do every week, and we will continue to do. <laughs> and that is to acknowledge that the land that we live on, the land that we work on, and that we're speaking to you now from, is unceded ancestral territory of the Musqueam, the Squamish, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Coquitlam nations. And um, most recently, I started, I started doing an online course, which was put out by the University of Alberta, which, was, which is a, kind of an overview. It's an introduction to uh, Indigenous people's history and relationship with government and more. And I haven't completed it yet, so I can't speak to everything that it's going to teach me. But I did ask uh, a very uh, a close friend of mine, a First Nations um, woman, their opinion about this course, if they'd heard of it, and what were their thoughts about it. And one of the things that they pointed out was, um, since it was based out of Alberta, and it's giving kind of the countrywide perspective on Indigenous people's history, a lot of it was centered around treaties and the treaties that had been signed. How were the treaties signed? What did the treaties say? What does this mean now? But we live in BC, 
And in BC, there was a distinct lack of treaties. And so this is different territory. So when we say unceded territory, we're talking to the fact that there were not treaties made. There were not acknowledgements or agreements made around land. Granted, the ones that took place in a lot of the rest of Canada were not fair, were not okay, and that needs to be, you know, there needs to be restoration and retribution around that. Um, but in this province, we're not even to that point. And so it's just so much more ridiculous and extreme. And I think it's, we, we touch in on this every week because it's important to remember these facts and to bring them into whatever it is that we're talking about every week because they do bear impact. So right now, when we're talking about what do we want to burn down, I want to burn down that inequality. I want to burn down the barriers to reconciliation and restoration. I don't even know. It's one of those things where it's like I can say the words and it feels like it's not a possible thing because of the damage that's been done through the centuries. But I'm not going to stop wanting it, even if it feels, because you're definitely not going to get there if you don't want it, you know? Yeah, can't even imagine it, right? Yeah. 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 So. Um, There's a movement afoot at the moment in Canada around um, taking the emergency payments that have been made to people in order for them to be able to maintain a, a roof over their heads and put food on their tables. They've been called CERB payments, C-E-R-B. Um, but there, there are people now who are saying that this should be continued as a, uh, as a guaranteed minimum income yeah. um, across the country with, with adjustments for certain regions where in some regions the cost of living is higher and in some regions it's lower. But um, this idea that they're I – mean, because I'm thinking about what, what we – Women, women were never consulted about whether or not they were going to be second-class citizens compared to <laughs> men of the same nationality, the same age, the same skin color, whatever. They, they, were, they were not consulted about that. They just, they, their, their rights were just taken away. If there's an assumption that everybody has rights, everyone, it, we, then, then it's not about us having to fight to get our rights back. Then it's about you have them. You're assumed when you come out of the womb that you have rights. Right. Um, and we, we're not really doing that yet. I mean, we, we have some semblance of it. There's some lip service we pay to it. But mm. that's, a, that's a whole different idea. Right. Yeah. Um, there's, there's the saying around um, equality. To the privileged, equality feels like oppression because there's an evening out, right? When you're bringing some people up, giving them opportunities that they have not had before, providing supports and resources they did not have access to in order to provide a more reasonable access to possibilities for all humans on a more equal, equal level, even though it looks different, it feels like oppression to the people who are, it's like, well, now, well, now I'm not, I'm not special or now I have to give something up so that other people who had way less are able to have a bit more. And it's hard. It's gnarly. It's important. And 
If we get stuck only in the emotion around it, we won't find our way through. I encountered a really unusual, not one that's usually in the news uh, version of this just within the, I think it was this morning, actually, as I was reading through some news posts or something on, on Reddit. And it was a reference to, a, I think it was a study where uh, they found that people who have children, employees who have children, have more days off than those who do not. So I plunged into the comments and it was a crapshoot. <laughs> it was so full of that exactly what I just described to the privilege. Equality feels like oppression. And I'm going to call this out for both sides here because we've got um, the people who had more vacation days who are saying, look, even with that, I am nowhere near reaching the amount of rest and recuperation that people who don't have children can access with their days off. So if the days off are meant to be for that or for, to deal with illnesses or to whatever, you know, we've got more and more pulls on the, on the energy and the, and the time suck. And then you've got the other side, which is the people who didn't choose to have children or could not have children who are saying, why do you get more when you chose to go down this path? And why should I need to give up something or su uh, supplement something of yours because you chose it? And so you could kind of play this argument from both sides. And I feel that playing that argument doesn't actually get to the root, which is about what are these things for? What, is, what do they succeed in reaching their goals? Are they something that is a stopgap because other supports or resources are not present? Um, is there also the factor of what we talked about already, gender role dysfunction in this country? And does that play into this? And the overall, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me to, to start. Well, and it, it leads, sorry, it, it leads into a whole discussion around how do we, how do we take care of the raising of the next generation? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because if, if, people who have children are having to use their days off, especially if their children are sick um, because the preschool doesn't want, or, and the childcare situation doesn't, they don't want the children in the classroom um, when they're, when they're ill, right? The, the child needs to be at home and, and needs to be taken care of. So who's going to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to, who's going to do that? Um, so we, we've got this whole way of, of looking at it. I remember I worked in the hotel industry for several years early in my career. And we had the, a lot of the people who worked in the housekeeping department, in other words, cleaning the guest rooms, were women. And they were many of them single parents. Mm -hmm. And so there were many times when the, the person who was in charge of the housekeeping department complained that their employees were often, they weren't sick, but they were taking a quote unquote sick day. And everybody knew it was because their kids were sick. Right. And they were blaming the employee for, for taking this time off when they weren't actually sick. But nobody was looking at the systemic issue underneath that, which was there was no child care for these children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the, the hotel could have, thing. could have provided daycare for their employees. Right. It would have solved a lot of their problems. Ultimately, it would have been much cheaper for them to take a room they could have got revenue for and converted it into child care for the people who were working in the hotel. 
so that the mothers wouldn't have been worried about it. When the mothers didn't take time off work, the eldest daughters did, took time off school ah. because they were staying at home to, to look after that child. Um, because it's, it, it was illegal to leave the child at home, especially sick, but uh, to leave a child at home if they're under the age of 12, right? So we got, we've got some, there's, there's things that masquerade as one thing when, they're, when there's some deeper yeah. systemic things that are underneath them. And I yeah. think this is part of what we're referring to yeah, here. Exactly. And I, I feel like that's a neat issue to focus on because it, uh, it, if we are trying to really use this as an example, as a metaphor, not a metaphor because it's also literal, but as a foil for the problems that are still current where, where racism is still systemic in our country. I want to come back to that because yeah. that was where we originated from. And we went yeah. into this because it's not yeah. around, it's not around race. It's not around culture. It's not around religion. It's about something universal to all humans. And yet we can still find this fracture, yeah. this fracture of um, yes. feeling oppressed when someone over inequality, where there's privilege, there's lack of privilege, and you can argue it from both sides, but the point is still there. Yeah. So when we take that back and within Canada, we, I noticed that it came out in the news today that, uh, Trudeau is proposing um, some additional supports for Black-owned businesses and entrepreneurs, and it may be families as well. I didn't get a chance to read the article. But when I read that, it was interesting. My first thought was, why not First Nations, since we've got a significant hampering there? And then I realized, okay, well, there are some elements that we have been putting in place already so i may not be informed enough to know what this new proposal is in relationship to the systems and supports that we've been whether it's balancing something out yeah. yeah whether it's been attempting to i certainly don't say that it should not be there absolutely it's, no. there's yeah. a long history of of oppression that needs to be restored somehow and this is a could be a, a step forward for that um but what we have going on with uh, in supports for First Nations, it's still it's still not working. It's still not succeeding. It's not enough, and so that's where that's where the thoughts are. That was where my thoughts were coming from. Right? We've still got um, areas in Canada that do not have drinkable water, that do not even have functional sewage systems, and we're a, we're a developed yeah. nation, but you you would not know it when you travel to these places. And there are many of them, many of them, and most of them are yeah. First Nations land still. And that don't have affordable food either, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. One of the, the places that I went up north yeah. where the vegetables, I, I taught a girl in northern Saskatchewan who had never heard of cauliflower, never seen broccoli. And when I brought some. Never seen one. In, yeah. They just they didn't even know what that was. And this is in Canada. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's hard for these things sometimes to get up there. It's, there's a lot going into why. Does this individual not know what a broccoli and a cauliflower look like and taste like? There's lots of things going into that. It's not just as simple as they don't like vegetables in that family. You know, there's so much more going on behind there. And this is where we have to be able to talk about these things without people just getting precious about what they're worried about, where they're where their money is going, where their tax is going. I mean, we do need to have the conversations about that. We need to hold our government accountable for how it's using tax money. We need to, I mean, I'm 
still value the fact that my taxes will go to pay for infrastructure in this country that needs supports. I think that's it. Personally, I, I land on the side that I think that's valuable uh, infrastructure that can be done and it can be well managed or it can be mismanaged. And that can be on the top level or the medium level or the local level, you know, all, all the way down. And there has to be accountability. But a part of that is also having the conversations without being precious about it. Um, we've got way too many signs showing up that there's white supremacy growing, growing, growing at leaps and bounds in this country, in the States for sure, but and all over in, in Europe as well. This makes my alarm bells go off. So there's an, a level of fear when, when we talk about, you know, evening things out so that everybody has basic rights, whether it's rights to a livable income, um, rights to housing, rights to food, rights to um, access to the internet and uh, education and all of those pieces. That's, that's one aspect of it. But, but what, we, uh, what um, happens often universally is we, we think we're going to lose something. Yeah, um, we don't consider that we're likely to gain something. I mean, if the if if most of the wealth is in the hands of the top, you know, 0.5 percent, then most of us stand to gain. And and in fact, how much do the people who are in that top 0.5 percent stand to? How much do they stand to lose? I mean, how many billions do you need to have? <laughs> A basic quality of life right it's so so if they lose some of that how much do they have to lose before their rights are being infringed upon um, because I mean if you're if you're down to 1 billion instead of 40 billion oh man I heard that hurting you really I heard somebody um, describe it in terms of uh, relating it to hoarding right yeah. If yes, you have yes. too many of any, anything, yes. you could point at anything in the world. You'll get smacked down for it. There will be, you know, things will be taken yes. away. There will be an evening out. And yet we don't do this around money as though it's the only virtuous yes. thing that you could have as much as you want yes. and as much as you're able yes. to get. get and Never too much. Yeah. And that just, it's, it does yes. seem, it, it's obviously ridiculous as soon as we put it into those terms. So yeah. What if this is yes. also a mental illness? What if we called that, called it that? What if we would name it, we give it a illness, to be so focused on accumulating wealth that you have zero concern for your employees underneath you, yeah. for the resources that you extract and you're hurting the planet, you yeah. know, yeah. Mm, having feelings. Okay. We are moving yeah. through a time fast. I feel like it's time. Ooh. Oh, oh, what perfect time, time for the next, for this song. next song. And I just realized how perfect it is, as you can tell from my oohs. <laughs> <laughs> so the next song that I had chosen is Burn the Witch by Radiohead. Now, I have a sensitivity around the phrase burning the witch. Um, after over the last decade, you could say, of, of really having a shift in perspective around what was all of that when that was going on a couple of centuries ago, many centuries ago, down through history. Uh, personally, I believe it to now be a way in which women were systematically uh, removed from positions of power and influence within their communities, both small and large, and that they were vilified. They were using the leverages of religion and fear and shame to uh, especially 
remove the power and influence from uh, uh, women who were not married, women who owned land, and to basically push them to the outskirts of, of the city. As, a, as yeah, well as very practical. intelligent, healing women who, who, who knew how things worked and knew how to create healing, et cetera, et cetera. So that is my personal standpoint. This song, I still enjoy. I enjoyed it more when I watched the video where it gave another twist on, you know, the phrase. And in the video, which is uh, more like a claymation, stop motion kind of a thing. At the very end, this dude who's wandered into this village who looks like he's a tax man. That's honestly what it looks like to me. Somebody somebody who's in charge of monies or 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 has a lot of power from wherever it is that they've come they're the ones authority yeah they're the ones that end up in this wooden structure that's been built and set aflame and this now feels like poetic alignment that we were just discussing the perhaps mental illness of accumulating wealth to the point where you are harming harming and facilitating the abuse of those who you are uh, exploiting for your to accumulate the money, the resources of the planet that you're accumulating in the country, that I would like to see burn down. Yes. So let's take a listen to Burn the Witch by Radiohead, and we will be back in a few minutes.
Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. We were just listening to Burn the Witch by Radiohead, which was our declaration that we want to burn down the systems which exploit the people, which exploit resources, which magnify divisions between humans, whether we decide that it's going to be along the lines of color of skin or religion or class, whatever that means, education, or where you're living. Luca was referring to the boundaries of countries earlier. These are all things that we've agreed upon as we've all decided that these things are true together, and therefore they are true. Because it's not like the earth was drawn with boundaries on it, and we all just moved into them. Not like a risk game, where we, we occupy the different territories, and we're like, okay, I'm here. That's not how it worked. But we've been talking a lot about, you know, what do we what do we need to burn down, or what do we want to burn, just to get to 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 move forward, to be free of. And we've been talking a lot of metal level things. So, what do you think of in terms of like your personal self, Luca? Is there anything in your realm that you are just done with that you would like to burn and send on its way? I, d- I definitely have the sense as we come into, we're into September now, as we come into this um, autumn period, that um, that we have the opportunity to, you know, as we as we bring in the harvest, and we bring in the harvest of ourselves, right? And what, what do we value about ourselves? What are we grateful for? Um, and then also, what what do we have an abundance of that we that we can give away? But and also, what do we want to get rid of? what what compost pile now that that to um, turn into mulch that we want to that we want to transform into something else that we can use in a in a way that uh, we have not been using it so far transform it um and i was so i was thinking about this the the whole idea of alchemy and the the transformation of lead into gold um and i don't i don't think of it as lead into gold but more as in what's not serving us anymore, transforming it into something that does. Um, so that, that can be on a meta level, as you just said, but it can also be on a really personal level. So I'm going into this month thinking about um, what, what in my life am I ready to let go of? And I was just talking to 
um, someone I know who works with uh, essential oils. And she's been putting these little kits together to help people with grieving because she, she knows a whole bunch of people at the moment who are having to either let go of something major in their lives um, and or having a, you know, a pet that's died or a family member that's died or, or having to let go of some part of their life that you know, it could be a marriage, it could be, um, it could be a job, some people have lost their jobs, but it's this whole idea of grieving. Mm -hmm. And what do we need to do in order to grieve? And I think that we're a culture that has typically been very afraid of death. Um, and you can tell how afraid we are of it by how many euphemisms we have for the words, you know, people passed over and passed on and, and kicked the bucket. And like, we've got a billion ways we can, we can phrase this. It tells us that we're really not comfortable with the idea. So if we're not comfortable with that idea, how comfortable are we with being intentional about what we're going to release? Mm -hmm. And, and so she's been putting, um, she's been putting these little, these gorgeous little bags together with things in them that are part that you can use as part of a ritual, um, for, for letting go. And, and I think we can all put our own together. We can create our own rituals. I think one of the things that's happened with the, um, um, increasing disenchantment with organized religion in, in many sectors of society, not for everybody. So if you're part of an organized religion or you have an organized belief system, then you may already have rituals that you can follow. But if you, if you aren't, if you've let go of that, then I think that we have to create our own rituals for how we're going to grieve, how we're going to honor um, transitions in our lives. And some of those are, you know, who, who what, um, how are we letting go of things, um, people or situations or um, uh, structures or whatever it is that doesn't serve us? So first of all, we're figuring out what's uncomfortable, what isn't serving us anymore, and then figuring out how to put it down. And once we've put it down, how do we let it go yeah. so that it gets stuck to our fingers so we walk away and we, we put it down, but we're still carrying it with us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think this is something that we can do on an individual level. And sometimes we come together in groups to do it. Sometimes a whole family needs to do it or a whole community. If someone dies, then we, then we honor that as a community. We do, there's more and more people now getting together to do um, memorial services for people that are, that are not religious, um, that are, or that are interdenominational, right? So how do we how do we come together to honor the letting go of something while still appreciating what it gave to us and and then also saying okay and and now we we will let it pass. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm uh, that's one of the things that I'm thinking about. You know who who, who am I and what am I now as I go through this sequestered time through this COVID virus. Um, what what am I? Um, what am I honoring? Mm -hmm. What am I calling in, and I want more of? Um, and what am I burning down in my life? Yeah, yeah. And it's highly personal, but there's a transpersonal element to this too. I think. Um, and I'm I'm really curious right now about as we burn down the old, i.e., 
as we demolish it, let it go, um, reconfigure, what are we, what are we transmuting? Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what, what do we save from the things that we've had, the experiences that we've had that have been useful? And how do we transform that into something that is going to serve us better individually, but also in terms of our communities and in terms of the global community? You know, I've, I've always thought that, that we should be measured by the least of us, right? The, the people who have the least, seem to have the least. Yeah. Um, and what do they share with us? And I think also, you know, I like that phrasing to, to take the, we are measured by the least of us. And why have those people become the ones who have the least? <laughs> Yes. Or, and, and how, what are we measuring that makes us think that it's the least? Absolutely. I mean, we think if people don't have land that they don't have anything, but maybe they have freedom. Maybe they have fluidity to be able to move where they need to move, when they need to move, to, to follow the seasons, to follow the, the climate, to, you know, it, it's, uh, to, you know, to what extent are we burdened by having a mortgage or, or rent that we have to pay? Um, so it, it's very much a matter of what do we value and therefore we say, well, you, you don't have those things. So therefore we value you less. That's yeah. that makes sense to me. Yeah. So the least, right? What is the least? Really good, really good questions. And perhaps if we were to turn that in reflecting on our own personal selves, mm-hmm. um, where is it that I feel the least? Mm-hmm. And what is there to learn from that um, in terms of why do I consider it to be the least? How did it get to be that way? <laughs> yeah. Where do I yeah. turn my flamethrower? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and where, where are my superpowers? And where, yeah. what, what can I do to elevate my superpowers and, and, and burn down and release the things that aren't working for me? Yeah. These are really good questions to take with us. And our time is running very, very uh, short, running out. <laughs> There's less yeah, yeah. right now than there was a few minutes ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, good questions to take with us into the week ahead. Um, we are looking at the month to come, month and a half to come, and looking forward to uh, the fund drive that uh, our CJSF is going to start working on. We're going to start focusing on uh, sharing shows that we have done with people who are employees or volunteers at the station, because we think that's a really important thing to highlight is their personal stories, but then also how it relates to CJSF as we're coming into the section where we are you know, seeking to, to engage you, our listeners, into the support of this institution, which we're all engaged with for the purposes of enlightenment in every sense of that word. So uh, And supporting those. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned for those over the next few weeks. And we'll have a few new shows that we'll be doing as well in there with um, other members of the CGSF crew that we haven't yet interviewed on air. So until next week. I wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer and Rebecca Mears Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahalleck.com. 
I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. Oh, ah, 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 Happy, 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 boing, 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 bo